Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by I'm Obsessed With This Podcast. Ever watch something and become so obsessed with it that you can't wait to talk about it with your friends? Bobby Finger, host of Who Weekly, feels the same way. So every other week, Bobby invites guests to talk about the Netflix shows and films they are most obsessed with in the new podcast, I'm Obsessed With This. Tune in to hear about the most binge-worthy shows, like Russian Doll or Sex Education, and subscribe to I'm Obsessed With This on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. Navy Federal is proud to serve over 8 million members and is open to active duty military, the DOD, veterans, and their family members. Receive a lifetime of membership benefits, like a credit card APR average that is 4% lower than the industry's, member-only exclusive rates, and more. Visit NavyFederal.org watch for more information. Call 1-888-842-6328 or download the Navy Federal Credit Union app today. Message and data rates may apply. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, he never misses a hard out. It's Andy Greenwald. So good to be back with you. How oh, man. Texas? It's been a while. Uh, this is the first podcast that Greenwald and I have recorded since Triple Frontier's Wednesday night release on the <laughs> Netflix television station. I can't believe you made me watch it. Um, Guess what? Andy did not care for Triple Frontier, but he is a silent minority in my sphere. Uh, So the second half of the show will be me and Jason Concepcion talking about what we loved about JC Chandor's portrayal of fraternal loyalty and pushing oneself beyond the limits. I have have none of those things and I relate to none of those things. Would you, if I was like, hey man, we, I have like this thing where we're going to go rob a drug dealer of $75 million, um, but I'm only going to do it if you do it with me. Would you do it with me? Here's the thing. You would have to come ask me at the exact moment that my job was at its worst. You know what I mean? Like if you had come last week when we were breaking episode 105 and for a minute, the bleakness of infinity and the impossibility of ever crafting a satisfying story in the three dimensional, I mean, no, four dimensional realm of television uh, was weighing down on me, I would have been like, yeah, Semper Fi, brother. <laughs> but <laughs> otherwise, nah. No. Nah, because look, here's the thing about Triple Frontier, <laughs> and we're not even talking about it yet. What they don't tell you when they give you the brochures to go to the Triple Frontier, uh-huh. they certainly don't tell you what country it is. It's just a place where... It, they know. do. I saw somebody else be like, well, what I'll term South America, but it was like, they definitely show you where it is. They don't. It's just a place where stern brown people get gunned down. That's sort of the goal of the location. But look, look, if you want my review, I already sent you the trash emoji. What I'm saying is what they don't tell you about the Triple Frontier when, you know, they they hand you the brochures to like check out property there. It's not just the robbing the drug dealer, right? It's the surviving in the jungle and the mountains for seven days. And that's where I tap out. (laughs) That I think was actually the the kind of brilliant turn this movie made. Even if it's not as as entertaining as the first half, I thought it was kind of like this incredible switch from being a heist movie to being a survival movie. And I was pretty into it. Uh, We could talk a little bit more about some of your For what it's worth, I don't want you to think that I'm picking nits. I thought all of it was unenjoyable. No, I know. I I got that from the trash emotion. That you sent me. That was uh, <laughs> see. Usually, what happens when I convince Greenwald to watch something, uh-huh. I get constant updates about it, 
And then I didn't hear anything from Andy Mm-mm. all of Mm-mm. last night. Then I got a text message this morning that said, Twitter turned on Beto! <laughs> Exclamation point. Yeah. And I was like, What's I wonder, up? I wonder if that's the text message of a man who has watched Triple Frontier. <laughs> and it turns out it was. First of all, I would rob a stash house with Beto O'Rourke. I just think he has leadership qualities that I respond to. But two, here, here's here's my... We're not, I love that we're doing this preamble where we were going to talk about other stuff, but we're still talking about Triple Frontier. Maybe that's the magic. Maybe the Triple Frontier was just the friends we made along the way. Uh-huh, that's the fourth what, frontier. But <laughs> here's my review of it. I watched it last night on the couch on my television set, and my wife had a lot of work to do, and she was working at the dining room table. And I'd asked her beforehand, I said, is it okay if I watch something while you're working? She said, of course, I don't mind. <laughs> and then I paused, and I was like, it might be noisy. And she said, I don't care. So then we watched it, and the most damning part of the experience was that she remained completely silent. Like, <laughs> silent as a tomb inhabited by one of the main characters of Triple Frontier R.I.P. She never looked up and said, oh, it's nice to see so-and-so in this movie or anything? I don't think it was nice to see anyone. No, 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 no. What she did do, which is the most devastating way to to, to communicate anything, was like, I don't know, 90% through the movie, like we're in, we're in the boat territory. Uh-huh. She just looked up and said, are you enjoying this? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I was, I was, I was dead. That's dope. I was dead because you have to understand it's the, it's not a triple frontier, but it's the double burden. That's I wasn't right. just not enjoying the movie, but I was somehow responsible for bringing it into my home. You know, <laughs> it was like she was, I, there was no winning for me. There was no like, no, I liked it because I didn't. It was instead, this was our evening. Right, right. And so I, so I did what anyone would do in that situation. I blamed you. Okay. <laughs> did you, did you watch the new Avengers trailer? Should we talk about something you do like? I did. I did. Um, what a world that all of these movies, what they were really all about was one man's love for Gwyneth Paltrow. I mean, I did not think that that was the formative, uh, formative beat in these characters' lives, but that was kind of an interesting turn. Well, I think at this point, you have to allow them their dalliances because they can't actually show us anything from the movie. So they're kind of tossing out crumbs as to what it could be about, even though we all know what it's going to be about. It's going to be about like trying to bring back those who were uh, disappeared. So I think in, in that case, like I'm not treating like the, the central love story of the Avengers is not really what I think the movie is going to be about, nor do I think it's going to be like Clint and Natasha's like international romance. I mean, I, look, here's the thing about it. And I, I did, I, I enjoyed it. I'm along for the ride, right? Like, I think this is fun. And I, and, and at this point, 10 years in, I enjoy seeing the story that they're trying to tell about the movie through the trailers they're releasing. And one thing I will say, respect to Marcus and Feely and the Russo brothers, because if you were attempting to regroup after the decimation of half the sentient life in the universe, <laughs> I don't know if lady with the braids and the pistol and guy with the bow and arrow are the ones I'm signing up first. You know what I mean? Like this is definitely a motley crew to take on Thanos, the mad Titan, because honestly, I don't know if I would roll with those guys to the triple frontier, let alone into the deepest parts of space. Right. So I think that what this trailer did do is obviously give away, not give away, but it's the, it's, it comes up with the idea that like, there is one thing that some one of these guys, one of the remaining Avengers is going to be able to do to bring these people back. And I think there, there's been a lot of pointing out on Twitter that Tony obviously makes it back 
from his outer space sojourn because he's in I'm that. I'm sorry, was, was that in doubt? Yeah, I thought like, it, the, the whole movie was just going to be him doing journal entries to Pepper Potts. What, what, if, what if secretly Avengers Endgame was just a mashup that no one wanted of The Leftovers and the Sam Rockwell film Moon? Like that's... <laughs> That was the sort of artistic sweet spot they were going for. Kind of, you're not mad at it, though, right? Yeah, um, I, I think that that's, that's essentially what they're... I mean, we still haven't seen Thanos. We still haven't seen... I mean, I guess we haven't really seen any of, like, where the, the people who were turned into dust could have emerged in. Like, I guess they would be in another dimension, probably, right? In, in all seriousness... Here's the thing that this reminded me of, and I and, and I should say, or we should say, um, I I haven't seen Captain Marvel yet. You haven't either, right? I have not. No, I, I'm going to try to see it so we can talk about it maybe Monday. But we we've talked over the years as these movies have come out about like how in some ways they're more like TV than movies, and I really felt that strongly from this trailer because you know I I don't know if this is going to be a good movie. It, it's probably going to be a mess in some ways. Who knows? But I like so many of these people and I like them playing these parts, which felt very TV to me. It's just, it was a familiarity. And I think Hemsworth is so good as Thor and seeing the clip, and they did this very well, playing on our nostalgia or our experience, having watched a decade of these movies, seeing the way they looked when they first introduced them and connecting it emotionally to the journey that that actually audiences have gone on with these characters is super smart. It felt super TV to me, but again, like I like that. And I, I that's the kind of manipulation I don't mind. The kind of manipulation I have some notes on is... Jeremy Renner's hair choice. Yeah, and I assume we're going to clear out the rest of the podcast to discuss. I think we need, we might want to start like a binge mode Jeremy Renner's hair sub feed. Bobby can look into maybe doing that. Kaya's on vacation, but Bobby, maybe if we could get like a, a, a the watch sub feed that is also part of the binge mode feed that is just about Renner's haircut. Yeah. Uh, it is definitely guy who didn't rise out of regional pro wrestling competition. Oh, see, I went a different route. I thought it was guy who woke up and his only media is an issue of alternative press from 2007 and saw a picture of Mark Hoppus and said, give me this. Yeah, he's like super into AFI. But it's like, it's like late period Blink-182. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, it's like, oh no, one of these guys is way too into aliens and I got to shoulder the burden here. So just a little light on the sides. You know what I mean? It's definitely you know the, I mean? ha- it's the haircut <laughs> of an actor who is like... I've been in so many failed <laughs> franchises or gotten jerked around in said franchises that were supposed to yeah. be a big deal. So, like, he was supposed to take over for Ethan Hunt in Mission Impossible. Obviously, just is not in Fallout. Um, he was supposed to be the newborn. That never happened, much to me and Andy's eternal uh, chagrin. And now he was sort of, I, I think he's barely in Infinity War, right? See, I, that's that is definitely a more cynical, business-minded approach to his appearance. I think it's the look of an actor who has risen to every challenge that he's faced. In fact, he's risen so high. What challenges are left, except the challenges of a forty-six-year-old man in spandex with a natural, you know, a, a not natural, a delightfully strong hairline. Well, the thing and about I think Jeremy, it's, yeah, it's I kind mean, of a flex. The thing about Jeremy Renner is that we actually believe it or not don't talk enough about Jeremy Renner. No, we don't. We haven't talked enough about the last few years of his career, for instance. You know... I'm uh, I'm so glad we're doing this. He's so good in Wind River and Arrival. And that was like right where I want my Renner. You know, he's just doing these these great... Like he is just doing Jeremy Renner, but he is in elevated genre material. So he's in a Mm -hmm. kind of survivalist law enforcement story with Wind River. Did you ever see Wind River? 
No, but I was going to go along with it for the bit. Okay. And then he's an arrival, which is great. But other than that, he's also made appearances because one of the things that I, I don't think about Jeremy Renner is that I don't think he's funny. And no. he obviously disagrees with me because he appeared in the house and tag in 2017 and 18. And in both, obviously was like almost green screened into two of these movies. I mean, like I think the house is really just a, a one scene cameo in tag. He plays like the main character and broke both of his arms. Yeah, so th- This is what I wanted to jump on. I'm glad you brought us there because what I think, again, I clearly I'm the one still defending him at this point. And, 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 you know, you know, like there was the period in the early 80s when De Niro was like, what heights are left for me to achieve? All I can do now is just transform my body, my instrument, you know, for roles and from Raging Bull to um, when he did that Frankenstein movie a decade later, like he, he went at it, right? Yeah. And I think that for Renner, once you've hit the heights that he's achieved in the real estate field, if not um, in cinema, I think that once you get to a movie like Tag and you break both your arms, making a mild R buddy comedy, <laughs> and then you complete filming of said movie with both arms immobilized. Yeah, and you have like, to have well, them what? green screened, right? Yeah, so you're like, what? what's next? And I think getting going to a barber and saying, give me the two broken arms but on my head is the <laughs> next step for our generation's De Niro. I I'm think just, that's the real beauty of it. I'm just looking at his post Hurt Locker career, and you know when you when he comes in in Hurt Locker, you're just like, okay, this is this is going to be probably a major movie star for the next 15 years, and in some ways he has been. In some ways, he actually has done that with. He's done great character work in things like The Town. He's been in blockbusters like Mission Impossible. He's mm-hmm. tried to like revive the Borden thing, and I, you know, I I actually think did an incredible job in that. Although, uh, obviously, people at Universal disagreed with me. He, th- he makes some some choices, like being in Hansel and Gretel, but he's also in movies like The Immigrant, where which is like an amazing James Gray movie, and American Hustle, which I thought he was quite good in. But I just think that these these Marvel movies have really taken up a lot of his innings. It, it, but also in such a strange way. I mean, he is, I don't know how many of our fans are baseball fans, but he is essentially the loogie of these movies. You know, like they bring him in for half an inning to face a batter. Yes. Or I guess half an inning would be more than a batter, but you, yeah. get, you get the metaphor. But again, like this, this movie is banking really, really hard, I think, on viewers' desire to have him back shooting space arrows at an immortal god. So should be interesting, right? I, I mean, mean, look, the, the, the bottom line here for this movie, obviously we're going to see it. Obviously everyone's going to see it. But it, it is interesting to see Marvel go to a place that none of these movies have gone before, which is this movie... I guess for as much as any comic book movie can does have stakes and they are self-created and they're self-mythologizing. And of course everything can be undone with yeah, a, it can be the, with a, with a snap of pencil, Kevin Feige's finger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But they've done a good job of selling the epicness and you know, you and I were definitely feeling that Captain Marvel's launch did not have that same, like we create reality. We have the infinity gauntlet reality shaping confidence that has marked a lot of these other movies apparently didn't matter with the box office. And again, we'll talk about uh, content and quality next week, but yeah, I mean, I think that it's it's fun. The the two previous Marvel movies, black Panther and, uh, and infinity war, I guess Ant-Man is the exception here, but two of the three previous uh, Marvel movies to captain Marvel just felt like they were coming out of like a, a fucking slingshot. They really just felt like they were, 
like being catapulted right into the culture and that they were going to be something we had to talk about for months. And and Marvel didn't have that urgency, I just don't think. I, I, yeah, I agree. But I think this is, I mean, it, it, it clearly for this mo- moment doesn't matter. Captain Marvel is a big hit and this is teed up and now... Thor and Captain Marvel are buddies, as yeah. we learned in this trailer. <laughs> we did. I kind of uh, wish, wish Renner had been in Triple Frontier. I think it would have been good for both parties. What, what, wait, no, for real. I'm, I'm happy to go into that conversation, which is, I think there's a real, one of the one of the myriad problems with this film is the casting. I th- You do? I, you know, oh yeah, majorly. I mean, it's not as big of a problem as the essential problem with the movie to me, which is that it has no idea what kind of movie it is because it seems to think it's like, it should be or wants to be Three Kings meets the Dirty Dozen, but it has the it has the the comedy chops of Zero Dark Thirty, so it ends up being neither. <laughs> Catherine Bigelow's <laughs> classic comedy, like a classic classic screwball farce. Jason Clark <laughs> and Jessica it's, Chastain. <laughs> I've always thought of Zero Dark Thirty as kind of the His Girl Friday of our generation. Yeah, right. Um, just two crazy just, kids, just a professional dits trying to make it in the world. Yeah. Um, but, but be, like, the, yeah, the casting, like, I, I appreciate that they made Charlie Hunnam and Garrett Hedlund brothers, but they just smear into, like, one blonde mass for me, and I couldn't tell the difference between them. I couldn't and, tell whether or not, I, I actually really love this movie, as everybody probably can imagine, but I do wonder whether the Charlie Hunnam character was, like, they split one character in half. Like, they either split Garrett Hedlund in half or split... Oscar Isaac and have to create the Charlie Hunnam character and like gave him some of the other guy's lines because couldn't right. Charlie Hunnam have been a UFC fighter also dealing with PTSD who does like recruiting talks but then fights UFC and then they go get him like did they really need to have a full other character no and in fact if they they already had Oscar Isaac playing three distinct characters in one film. <laughs> so I, I don't think there was any issue there. My favorite thing is when he, like, before our eyes morphs into another character in the last third of the movie when he just starts shooting teenagers' tires instead of teenagers, despite having no qualms about shooting teenagers previously. Well, um, he had a dude, it, it was, dude, he, he went gone through the process and arrived the at movie, what the right decision was. The movie should have been fun or no fun, and it couldn't decide which it wanted to be. And the fact that it tees up quadruple frontier in the last frame was, come on, man. That's awesome. Come on. They made a it's Sicario not, it's not sequel. Awesome. It's not fun. <laughs> but yeah, yeah like, but like, there's like, you can understand why like there, there are people out there, and like myself included, why who, if you like action movies and like kind of that, that kind of thing, like this was a very satisfying experience. But I feel, and I mean this genuinely, I, know I would love... I would love to have experienced the highs you got from this because I think I think that what you're getting from it is something that I also genuinely can enjoy and have enjoyed in the past. But I watched this and maybe this maybe the blame falls on Netflix because I watched this and I was like, this wasn't ready to be a movie. This is oh, a see, I actually thought why. it was the exact opposite of that. I think a lot of Netflix movies definitely feel like this is what the studio process provides is like a, a certain level of interrogation of ideas or whether or not something is necessary or not. But I felt like this movie was the movie it was supposed to be in some ways. It just, okay, I guess let me rephrase. What I mean is I could tell why every studio didn't make it because it's a tweener. It's, gotcha. yeah. you know, it's, it's not one thing or the other, but I think in this case, it, it would have been helpful for it to have been tipped one way or another because sort of straddling the line between them, between wanting to be sort of 
charming and like midlife crisis, but in the jungle kind of movie. Uh-huh. And then being something deadly serious about the debt we owe our servicemen, but also an action movie where they shoot a lot of guns. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a, it, it, that's a tough one. And I don't think they got there, but you know, I, I wasn't sure how to feel about them as soldiers until Masters of War played. That helped that helped me figure it out. Just like I wasn't sure <laughs> if there was a bond between them until Fleetwood Max the Chain started playing. And you so didn't I know did if it. the bell was tolling for them until For Whom the Bell Tolls played? Well, I didn't know who... I, yeah, you, the thing is, I didn't know for whom it was tolling, you know? Right. And then finally, finally, I got that underlined for me. Look, I didn't want to do this. This is my... Especially now that I'm on restricted minutes, now that we're... Now that I'm personally missing the playoffs this season... Um, I didn't want my my quarter of action. I know to be my least favorite role. So, is there I, anything out there in the cultural world that you would love to un- unambiguously recommend? Then, I don't know. Last time I did, I, last time I recommended something out of the blue, Crashing got canceled. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel like I've really got my finger on the pulse at the moment. You know? Yeah. I don't know. Just don't what, recommend uh, Quadruple Frontier. I mean, a lot of us are really pull, holding out hope for that. Do, do you want me to tell you that the second season of Top Chef Junior really delivered, much like the first season? I mean, because <laughs> I can tell you that. I don't think you're going to hear me. I don't like this because uh, then I feel I feel really far apart from you when shit like this happens. When you're like, <laughs> I didn't like Triple Frontier, but kids, <laughs> kids cooking ruled. Do, isn't this kind of like season 16 of Grey's Anatomy when the characters are just really their characters? You know yeah, what I mean? I hear you. Like, what, what about um, before I cede the floor to someone who also could survive just being shot and then live in the jungle for seven days? Because apparently getting shots NBD. Um, I, I assume Jason can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, just can we pour a little uh, yingling out for the closing of the Trocadero in Philadelphia, a rock club that was very formative in our young lives. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody who's listening to this who doesn't know what the Trocadero is has a Trocadero in their life, which was just a place in the city where they either grew up or went to college in or lived in their 20s that they spent an inordinate amount of time. That was kind of like a temple of cool and where you went to go feel part of something bigger than you were. The Troc was a club in Philly where Andy and I grew up, uh, you know, in Chinatown. And it's where we saw some of like, you know, the great, the best concerts we've ever seen in our life there. To be clear, Chris and I did not grow up in a former Chinese movie theater in Chinatown. No. Uh, we grew up in Philadelphia and attended concerts at the Drogadero. <laughs> but yeah, I, I just think that like, that's the the first time you walk into a place like this. And as Chris was saying, I'm sure most cities have like an old theater like this, but you walk in there as a teenager and you see the merch table and you see the type of people gathering around and the sort of secret language they share and the way they know where to stand at the show or they know when the opener is about to go on or come off. And it does feel like being brought into a club, a club that you are not a member of yet, but you would do anything to be a member of. And then at that sweet spot, when the bands that you're just hearing about, uh, are coming through there. And I think you and I've talked on this podcast before about how before we knew each other, we were probably at the same uh, pavement guided by voices show. That's in right. Like 1995. Um, <laughs> you know, less cool memory, but I remember in like in 1993 going there to see Toad the Wet Sprocket and a band called the Gin Blossoms opened. And I remember they played a song and I left the show being like, that band had a song about a girl named Chelsea. Hey, Chelsea. And it was really good. So young trend spotter, young, young middle of the road rock trend spotter in effect, even then. How did you not but, get an A&R job? 
I, it's it's really shocking. Yeah. You know, thank you. I've been asking that question for 26 years. Okay. But um, it, it's a shame. We have not been back there. And reading the article that um, Dan DeLuca, who's a music critic that we've oh, been yeah. reading in Philadelphia papers for years, wrote about the place, it, it says things that are probably worth saying when we're eulogizing and remembering a place that meant a lot to us, which is that Philadelphia, I guess, has better venues now and more venues. And, you know, it's not as central to the music scene, but it's it's a shame. And it just brings, you know, it's 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 just kind of a, it, it's I, I guess it's as much a piece of getting older as uh, going to the shows in the first place. As Jeremy Renner once sang, I guess this is growing up. <laughs> or it was Mark Hoppus. <laughs> Unclear. Andy, thank you for your your power 20. <laughs> what a pleasure. What a pleasure. Um, if you want to, I'm going to listen. I don't usually, Chris, I don't usually listen to the watch. But when I do, I want to hear you and your MMA fighter brother, Jason Concepcion. <laughs> <laughs> raid my stash house metaphorically or otherwise i can't wait for your notes thanks so much for calling in i'll talk to you on monday bye baranskis today's episode of the watch is brought to you by i'm obsessed with this podcast ever watch something and become so obsessed with it that you can't wait to talk about it with your friends bobby finger who's the host of who weekly feels the same way so every other week bobby invites guests to talk with him about the netflix shows and films they're most obsessed with on the new podcast i'm obsessed with this tune in to hear about the most binge-worthy shows like russian doll or sex education and subscribe to i'm obsessed with this on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher or wherever you find your podcasts Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by ADT Real Protection. When it comes to something as important as your family's safety, you deserve real protection from ADT. Real Protection means the nation's number one smart home security provider is standing by and there for you when you need them. Real Protection means having a safe and smart home with everything from video doorbells, surveillance cameras, smart locks, lights, carbon monoxide and smoke detectors, and a system that's custom designed to fit your lifestyle. And setting up custom automations to do things like lock the doors and set the thermostats when you leave. Real protection means staying safe on the go in the car or when your kids are at school with the ADT Go app and SOS button. Real protection means 18,000 employees safeguarding you. Real protection means direct connections with first responders. No matter how you define safety for you or your family or your business, ADT is there. ADT Real Protection. Visit ADT.com slash podcast to learn more about how ADT can design and install a secure smart home just for you. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Billions. Everything changes this season when enemies become allies as longtime rivals Chuck Rhodes and Bobby Axelrod are forced to work together to claw their way back to the top. The scheming and sabotage will leave you guessing as they seek revenge on anyone and everyone who stand in their way. Don't miss the new season of Billions starting Sunday, March 17th at 9 p.m. To get a free month of Showtime, go to Showtime.com and enter code THEWATCH. This offer is for first-time subscribers only and expires March 31st. Now that we've gotten Andy's constructive criticism out of the way... (laughs) I'm here joined by the guy who actually would go on a mission to rub a, a cartel second. leader with me. That's Jason Concepcio making his second appearance on The Watch this week. What's up, Jason? Um, I remember, so I, I texted you right after I watched The <laughs> Frontier. And I was like, can I come to your office and talk to you? You're like, yeah, man. And I was like, because I need to describe the energy that coursed through my body after... William Ironhead Miller, played by Charlie Hunnam, said, that's what being a warrior is. (laughs) And Metallica's for whom the bell tolls kicked in. 
Ah, Jason, we're going to talk about it. (laughs) That's a great segue because that is the number one thing I loved from Triple Frontier. And what we're going to talk about is just the things we love. Andy gave a very good kind of assessment of maybe some of the problems. And I think you even said to me, it's not a good movie, but I loved it. Right. And I think that's fair. I don't think that nobody's saying this is like... Wow, Netflix topped Roma. <laughs> right, they really did it. They figured uh, it out. But I think that for what it is, first of all, it's a throwback for me because I feel like it feels a lot like The yeah. Dirty Dozen or The Professionals yep. or like Men on a Mission movie where like these guys are essentially there's something fatally wrong with their grouping. Right. You know, with them. And I think that Eddie's right in that like it's maybe not funny enough or not serious enough. Sure, yeah. But I think that there there is actually, it's a pretty unique movie in so much as everybody who saw it, I saw it, I got a chance to see it a couple weeks ago. Everybody was watching it last night, almost to a person texted me to be like, they're ro- they're doing the robbery like 45 minutes in. Yeah, what are they going to really do for weird. the rest of the movie? Yeah. And then you find out they're going to throw a fucking donkey off a mountain. <laughs> You know what I mean? That's what they're going to do. So Jason and I are here. We're going to go through X number of things that we loved about this movie. And, and you know, some of them we love ironically, and some of them we love sincerely. Yeah. Number one off the top is Metallica. Yeah, that's just too good. And the employment of heavy metal. It's so good. Heavy metal's not in enough movies. It's not in enough. And I thought that as that drop hit, just how jarring it is and how perfect it it was for this film. Yes. That song in particular. I thought, now, the only other better usage of it would have been as Garrett Hedlund's entrance music to his fucking (laughs) off-brand Bellator fight. I love that he's, like, trying to be like, guys, can we focus on my fight? (laughs) Talking about the mission. He... A guy comes in and he's like, we're going to go rob Lorea of 75 mil, but I can't do it without unanimous buy-in and especially not buy-in from Ben Affleck, who looks like he's swallowed another Ben Affleck to be the architect of this plan. But Garrett Garrett Hedlund's just like, I'm so focused on this sort of double A level UFC fight that I'm fighting (laughs) in a VFW hall in Riverside. You guys need to shut up. Come on, guys. I need to focus. Also, I, you know, like, I kind of get it. Like, can we can we give Ben his space to, like, get in the warrior mentality? That's I want to just for a second jump off of that to say, how come Garrett Hedlund didn't get a cool nickname? So it was Red Fly, Ben Affleck, Ironhead, Charlie on him, Pope, Oscar Isaac. Yeah. I didn't even know that he had another name except for Pope. Santiago. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Catfish. <laughs> And then Garrett Hedlund plays Ben. Ben, yeah, tough, no, tough beat for our guy. What ben. would you? What fish name would you give him? Pike. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah, you you beat me. Uh, so the UFC, I also enjoyed a lot. I felt like it was a very appropriate activity for those guys to not only as a have a have as like a, a physical exercise regimen, but also as like a this is what I like to do is right. drink beer in my truck. And go to daytime UFC fights in suburban California. Yeah, I thought that really underlined the kind of like uh, rootlessness of these guys if they after they've come back from various war zones and yeah. they're just like, what the fuck do I do now? Choke dudes out in publics. Yeah, it's like that's you know <laughs> that's uh, Charlie Hunnam's opening speech in this film is basically that like you're you're changed yeah. by war and now you have to come home and what are you doing? And it's like for for Ben Miller, the answer is punched in the face in a VFW hall <laughs> yeah. at three in the afternoon on a Tuesday. So we get out of the UFC fight. They decide they're going to do it. 
they pretty miraculously show up on the border between <laughs> know, right? Brazil, sure. Paraguay, you know, and they they get to the triple frontier. Uh, and there's some consternation about how they're going to do it. At first, it's just recce work. Right. You know, they're Which just going we, down to check it out. Do we ever figure out what recce means? Reconnaissance. Okay, that's just, wow. Yeah. I love the lingo. Yeah, I think it's reconnaissance. So they've got, uh, you know, Red Fly comes down out of retirement, puts away the condo for sale sign, <laughs> drags his ass into the jungle. Um, and we get the first truly great moment since the Metallica drop, which is Ben Affleck's fucking storage container speech. Yeah, I'm going to curse a lot during this. No, you have to great. allow it. I needed that. I also enjoyed that they kind of broke it up. So they go to the, st- the storage container and they're like, Pope, holy shit, what is all this stuff? He's yeah. like, I've been... I've been sourcing guns and ammo and C4 in country for like two years to do this. None of this shit is traceable. I've just been hanging out, having shit shipped to a shipping container so we can rob this cartel. And then they break for a second because Ben Affleck's like, I got to really, I got to freak out for a second. I got to freak out for a second because like I'm selling condos back in Florida. And my only thing is like, can I take care of my two girls? But you know what? I'm fucking in. Let's go. And then he gives, one of the great Ben Affleck speeches. Yeah, up, up there with the Boiler Room speech. Up there with Boiler Room and, uh, you know, every day I, I wake up expecting you to not yeah. be here. It's it's Goodwill basically like, make no mistake, <laughs> right. what we are about to do is illegal. Yeah, you don't have the flag on your shoulder. Yeah. If you get nicked, you're going to have to walk out of here. We're going to commit at least one murder. And if you want to leave, you're the best of us. You got to leave now. Yeah. So they decide to do it, obviously, but I love the storage container speech. Yes. Great setting for a speech as well. I, I want to do more work out of storage containers. <laughs> but then Ben Affleck, when he gets involved into the actual, when he gets into the actual firefight and they go and they rob Lorea's house, goes on tilt. Oh, I love that. I love that aspect of it, that he just, he got a taste. Once yeah. he saw that cash stacked up in the wall, spoiler. So like, he's, he's, they're like, wait a second. You're always the guy that never uh, that never breaks a timeline. You're the one who's saying we got to abort if this, that, and the other. Never happens. missed a hard out. Never missed a hard out. He's like, listen, and then he adds up like it's uh, take two minutes to get to the van. Right. It'll take them forty minutes to get back. I put in a cushion. All right. I want this extra seventeen million. Which is such a thing. Like you know when you actually like if you've ever been around people who are like. There are there is definitely the kind of person who's just like I told you it was four thirty, but really it was four forty five, and it's like don't you fucking lie to me, yeah, man! I'll be here on time. Right. Like you I'm don't have to adult. worry about it. But I that's my that is among my favorite scenes in the movie. It's just Same. them tearing this house apart with machetes and the realization that the sort of not, not modest goal that they had, which was to rob him of seventy five million. Yeah, it's obviously like all the cartels are using this as their bank. Yeah, and. Uh, Pascal's reaction as he's like chopping away at the wall. But the line that I thought was so good is when Affleck is like, God damn it, look at all this money. Because his voice cracks a little yeah. bit. And, you know, over the years, and I know Sean and Amanda are going to talk about this on the big picture, but Affleck has been like resisting playing somebody who is probably going through whatever he's been going through the last yes. five years, right? Agreed. So he's obviously had his documented problems. Right. He had the breakup of his marriage. But for the most part, when you see him in the movies, he's still Ben Affleck. He's right. still Batman. He's still like a leading man. And this is the first movie where by circumstance or by choice, he's like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fucking fat guy who's selling fuck. real estate. Like it's just, and and I, and I'm all fucked up. And when you put me back in the mix, right, the juice you, starts going, I see, I see the money. I've shot my gun a little bit. Yeah. But these guys all think I'm something I'm not anymore. Right. And when I see a bunch of money, I freak out. 
And like, I basically, you know, as they find out on the mountain, like they start to sign blame, but it's like his greed essentially dooms this whole thing. Yeah, I reacted to that as well. And it just reminded me of just people I know. You may know people like this who are like, you're going to go to New Orleans or Vegas or whatever for like a bachelor weekend. And that one friend who's like, don't let me go back to here's, the ATM. Here's, here's the my $500 card. Right. in an envelope and that's what I'm allowed that, to have. And hold my cards yes. and do not let me and then an hour into that the That guy has a like, broken Coors my, light bottle yeah. at your throat yeah, and is like, like <laughs> give me my fucking card you motherfucker. I'm a big boy. <laughs> I think we all know yeah, someone like that. Yeah. I just got a whiff of that when that moment. And he's the whole thing is his character is supposed to have the plan yeah. and his character is the person who screws the plan up. Right. So I, I thought that was incredible. The next great moment for me was just like Bill, the Bill Nye act that Pedro Pascal <laughs> yeah. tries to pull with the helicopter. Yeah, come on, man. Where it was like the air- they, f- they stole quarter a quarter of a billion yeah, dollars in cash. Yeah. And they're standing there and they're like weighing it on an inaccurate scale. And <laughs> Affleck clearly has his numbers where he's like, well, this can carry 9,000 p- right. pounds. And he's like at 2,000 feet. We got to fly over the fucking Andes, that, man. And then they're like, no, we're taking it. And Pedro Pascal's just like, okay. Yeah. Like, I, he's not like, you're not understanding me. The helicopter doesn't go over the mountain with this much weight. We're going to be rich for the rest of our lives if we just take $80 million. <laughs> that last ridge was absolutely infuriating to me because it's like, they're like, hey, are we going to make it? <laughs> no. And he's like, I hope so. It's like, what are you talking about, bro? Yeah. Also, like, kind of, uh, one thing I was kind of wondering is, like, why did they just get out of the chopper in Peru with everybody else? Yeah. They're like, just like, you guys, this? here's the shipping th- units that you send this to in Sydney, Australia. Right. Here's the passports. Like, why did they be like, we have to fly over the Andes and then get in a boat? Right. Like, was it just because you wanted to get back to your life rather yeah, than, yeah, like, yeah. maybe fly to, like, I don't know. I was I was bothered by that, but I just found Pedro Pascal's acquiescence to Ben Affleck being like, no, we're carrying nine times more than what the load, <laughs> right. the load, like, specs are on this chopper. And they fucking crash the chopper, obviously. Great line by Pascal, where he just goes, like, bad landing. Right. <laughs> um... I was kind of hoping that it would have been really ill if Hedlund and bit it by falling out of the helicopter. I thought that that actually was going to happen. Yeah. And then he just rolled out of it and was fine. So this is kind of the genius of the movie. Not that it's, I don't know if genius is a strong word for this movie, but I I think that one of my favorite parts about the second half, which is admittedly not something I am going to rewatch. I will watch the first hour of this movie like five times this week, but I'm not going to really watch a lot of the cold camping that they do and a lot of the- (laughs) No, no. Burning money and, and having the bro scenes. Yeah, and like listening to Masters of War. But I did like- and I think this is the, a really cool storytelling technique where they never really were like, okay, and now these guys are 100 miles away from where they started in yeah. one montage. Like, right. for the most part, they were like, this is how far we have to walk with all this crap. What would it actually be like to drag this money over a mountain? And what would happen if we got to the mountain and we were five days late for our boat ride? <laughs> and what would happen if we started fighting and a donkey fell off the mountain and a bag of money exploded? Yeah, and what would happen if we waxed four villagers? Yes. Like, out of nowhere yes. for just no reason, really. Right. Yeah. And I thought that that was like... The the fact that they just stuck to the reality of the situation yeah. at a certain point really was was really engaging, even when I found like the extent to which we were watching them not light a fire 
for, for a while <laughs> was sort of boring. Um, let's talk a little bit about the exploding money donkey, which is essentially oh, like a God. metaphor for American foreign policy. Yeah, can we please meme that? Can yeah, we, like that needs to be a meme. That's just like uh, that's like the, the PSG donkey. wage structure. That's like the Knicks G like front office like like plan. Like I, I thought that was a great image. If you're going to use CG, use it on a donkey exploding 100%. with money. And uh, that's when this movie turns into Treasure of Sierra Madre. Yeah, J.C. Chandor, who directed this, um, if you go through his IMDb, he is the director who is very interested in capitalism and money. Mm -hmm. It's like a most violent year. It's about starting a small business or a medium-sized business in the oil industry and dealing with giants. Margin Call, clearly about money. All is Lost is about a rich guy who just fucking... uh, Decides to to lose it. And Triple Frontier is... uh, at a certain point, and I think when they start killing villagers, becomes a story about American greed, yeah, and what it can drive you to. Right. There's no because like that. That's why that scene in the compound is so amazing because there is just when you have that much money at your feet, what's the concept of enough? Yeah. When like is, any when any one backpack is more than any of those guys have probably made in their life. I mean, it, you know, Ben says it uh, right at the beginning of the movie when he's like. You know, Pope uh, makes him the offer for just the straight recce job. Yeah, he's yeah. like seventeen grand for a weekend, and he's like, "Man, my first deployment, I made seventeen grand for the year." Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Ben, just like take five million dollars, even. It's amazing. Like you put your kid, knowing what we know now about Operation Varsity Blues, you buy your kid a spot on the USC <laughs> right, rowing that's team. It, you're done if you get five million dollars. Some light Photoshop, <laughs> yeah. and you're out. So I, I really liked how. It it basically played up that that treasure of Sierra Madre, like the enemy within, the greed, the starting to blame one another, the starting to be protective of stuff, and you know, like it gets pretty spare, and uh, it's it's not exactly like the end of the Wild Bunch up on that mountain, yeah. But it's pretty it's pretty effective when the kid in the James Rodriguez shirt tracks those dudes through the jungle, it's like we like he killed my grandfather, yeah. or whatever it was, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I thought that that was like, I thought that the second half of the movie, while like slower and like more dour, obviously, right. was really, really like, like effective as like a, a movie going experience. Let's talk just like a little bit more generally about it. Like they don't really make movies like this anymore. Yeah, they don't. Which Andy was kind of saying like, oh, I can see why studios passed on this. And I, I understand what he meant by it. But I also think standalone adult action dramas are are like basically yeah impossible to make like you can make one a year like Den of Thieves or this John Wick or something yeah, yeah but even Wick has yeah, like all, Wick so much IP, cartoonish yeah. violence that yeah. this is like pretty straightforward um, I mean what's the last movie that was kind of like this I guess Den of Thieves is a good one although they'd love to make another one but even like Lone Survivor, Lone Survivor has all that yeah. pa- like the patriotism stuff yeah. in it which this movie for the most part did not have like I thought that they did a lot of like oh yeah you got to stand with your brothers right but. But as far as, like, the idea of serving in the military, it was pretty cynical about that. Yeah, I I agree. It was mostly about, and this is actually the thing that I really appreciated, was it was just mostly about the effects of war on men. Yeah. The effects of extreme violence on men, and then you expect people to kind of, like, uh, recalibrate and uh, just drop back into their normal lives and sell condos after they've gone on— X amount of like door kicking missions yeah. in Iraq. What did they say? Like what everything we've done has violated the Geneva Convention. Yeah, Ben Affleck at one point is like, or uh, Pope to Ben Affleck is like, you've been shot five times yeah. for your country, yeah, yeah. and you can't even buy a new truck. Right. Um, what were some other moments that you wanted to like shout out before? Uh, 
I love the kind of extended recce into the shootout. Yeah. You know, there's a scene in, there's the, the cargo scene is there in the middle, but I love the first part where they, just with handguns, kind of recce. And they're just like hanging out in like the bushes. Hanging and- out, like Ben Affleck is an out of shape dude who was selling condos and now is just like, I'm back in the shit yeah. waist deep. We're in Patagonia. In a, in a fucking jungle pond talking shit about the security of this drug lord's house. <laughs> like, yeah, they got all the toys, but they don't have them. They don't even have the cameras pointed at the, like the weak points. It's yeah. like, these guys are just talking shit. Uh, I really enjoy that. And then when the shit pops off the shootout and you really get to see like the kind of teamwork and how these guys move through a, a combat zone. That was, listen, I'm, I'm all there for a shootout. Anytime a shootout breaks out. Yeah. It was really well done. And it's also like the, the hardest thing to do during a movie like that is to, basically establish place and keep people like this guy's upstairs and now he's going to go downstairs and this guy's coming in from the backyard. And I thought Chandler did a really, really good job of that. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I I think this movie does exactly what it says on the package, which is sometimes faint praise. Like when, when something is just like, yeah, it's exactly what I thought it was going to be. But I, you know, weirdly, I thought one of the weaker parts of the movie was Oscar Isaac. Yeah. In some ways, like I thought like he obviously has like a thankless job. Yeah. But in in some ways, I kind of wish he had a little of like Pedro Pascal's like right. entertainment value, right? A little bit more of a swagger. I agree because like he's the guy who he's the guy who develops this uh, informant who he's clearly having a romance yeah, with, right. and from everything that his squad mates are saying. That's his MO. Yeah. Is like, like the, the, your CIs are the people you send it for. Right. Like, yeah. I'm going to hook up with my CIs, and my CIs are always attractive women. Right. Um, and I just felt like I wanted to get a little bit more of that. Like, uh, you mentioned Last of the Mohicans. I wanted to get a little bit more of that Hawkeye, I've gone native yeah. swagger from him. Yeah. Like, I've been in the triple frontier for five years, and I'm just so deep in the shit. Uh, I, I wanted some of that from his character and he didn't get it. So quadruple frontier, is it just Oscar Isaac goes back to the coordinates Let's to get go. the money and I digs mean, through the snow? There's like $65 million up there. I know, <laughs> more than that. I think it's more than that. Um, Jason, thank you so much for coming by and talking about uh, the movie of the year so far. Thank for you us. for having me. Triple frontier. Jason Concepcion, yeah! we'll be back on Monday. Thanks for listening to The Watch. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Billions on Showtime. This is the season where everything changes. Enemies become allies and allies become enemies. Starring Emmy Award winners Paul Giamatti and Damian Lewis. Don't miss the new season of Billions Sunday, March 17th at 9 p.m. only on Showtime. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by the big homies at ADT. ADT is real protection. When it comes to something as important as your family's safety, you deserve real protection from ADT. Real protection means the nation's number one smart home security provider is there for you when you need them. Real protection means 18,000 employees safeguarding you. No matter how you define safety, ADT is there. ADT, real protection. Visit ADT.com slash podcast to learn more about how ADT can design and install a secure smart home just for you.